So we never know how something we say, something we do, something we give a patient is going to impact their lives and what the ripples in the pond are going to be and how far they're going to reach. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I had a patient the other day. She was angry and she was disappointed that she didn't have SIBO. You heard that right. She was upset because the test that she'd taken for SIBO, it came back negative. Now, I suspect some of you are surprised at hearing this. Others of you are nodding your head in agreement. You've seen it too. You've noticed how difficult it is for so many of our patients to sit with any kind of comfort in the midst of not knowing when something with their health is amiss and no one can come up with a clear answer as to why they feel the way they do. My patient was hoping that a SIBO diagnosis would answer the questions of why her digestion works the way it does and why she has a kind of fogginess in her thought and why in general she just feels crappy the way she does. I've had patients with bothersome problems that defy conventional medical explanation. It drives them crazy. I've had people say to me, I don't care if it's cancer. I just want to know what the heck it is. Astonishing, isn't it? That someone would rather have the known diagnosis of cancer than the unknown problem that refuses to be tracked on a scan, blood test, or hormone panel. The unknown can be just that unsettling. I suspect this points to something most of us experience to one degree or another. We want to feel like we make sense to ourselves. That anything amiss should have an explanation. That life should have more certainty than uncertainty. I suspect that many of us get edgy when reminded that life is full of uncertainty, that we actually have very little control over what happens to us, that at the edges of our awareness, at the edges of the map of our worlds, there are indeed dragons. I find that on almost a daily basis. People come in with some story of how something has gone wrong. But to me, it actually sounds like good news, not bad news. I in no way want to make light of the challenges that my patients have. But I often find myself saying to them, how's that bad news? It sounds like good news. Sometimes patients get angry with me for saying this, but usually they're a little dumbstruck. I'm not trying to talk them into my perspective. It's just that at times it's obvious that they're telling themselves a very limited story and leaving out potential resources and possibilities. Sometimes people confuse what's right about them with what's wrong about them. People often ask me how acupuncture works, and the best explanation I have at this point is that it helps them to reconnect with their vitality and inner resources that know how to do the healing. Well-placed needles do this really, really well, as you've no doubt noticed. In that interview portion of the work we do, those questions we ask to elicit what's wrong, sometimes we stumble across something that's right. I mean, really right, but our patients have failed to notice. In cases like this, directing their attention to this aspect of themselves can work a whole lot like a well-placed needle. The spirit and she can inhabit the experience of their mind-body in a way that creates more possibility. It opens them up to resources from which they'd previously been closed off. Things change. My patient with the clear SIBO test, she was not happy about my seeing this as good news when I first said it to her. Sometimes patients would like for us to agree with them about their condition. And one of the great things about Chinese medicine is we have a different perspective. We have different stories, often stories with a whole lot more possibility. And if you can explain what you're seeing from the Chinese medicine side, 
but do it not in the language of Chinese medicine, but in the language that the patient already uses, then you can help them to see where there's other options. They might even celebrate having good news on a lab result. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, 
you can mention the show or use the code Geological for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit Jane.app to get started today. Amy Major, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. It's a privilege to be here. Oh, man, the privilege is all mine. I am the lucky guy. I'm just like sitting here in the uh, waiting room of Yongkong Chinese Medicine Clinic, aka Geological International, which is where the recording happens here. And I get to talk to wonderful people all over the place. Beautiful. So I'm the lucky one. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Microphone, internet connection. There off you go. you go. Yeah, exactly. So, how long have you been doing this? I've been nationally certified since 1988. 1988? 1988. They had national certification in the Dark Ages? They had national certification without a point location on bodies component. That was a part of California's exam, which I took in 1990, but it wasn't yet in the NCCA. There was no OM yet. And I took that when I moved to Massachusetts. I had to take it because it was then a part of the NCCA. OM? No, it wasn't OM yet. Then oh, so it wasn't OM. <laughs> then it, I took it in 1991. Then they dropped it. The NCCAOM dropped it, that portion that I had to take for Massachusetts. What are you going to do? Best you can and give gratitude and say thank you for the privilege of getting to do this work and use this incredible medicine to help patients heal. Yeah. I, you know what? Just before we started rolling tape, I heard you say that. Thank you and with gratitude. And, and I thought, I need to hear that more. And then I just heard you say it again. I got a feeling you say this a lot, don't you? I say it a lot. And I focus a lot on being grateful for what's going on. My father, may his memory be a blessing, all of a shalom, as we say, used to say, if you're grateful for what you have and focus on what you have instead of what you do not, you will be happier. It's true. And to honor his memory, I live there. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, we're going to get into talking about practice and all kinds of stuff, but let's see, you first started 1988, so 1980s. 1986, I started ACTCM in the first class in the country that had a Master of Science in Chinese Medicine. Okay, you got involved in Chinese Medicine because you wanted to have those nice oceanfront properties and expensive European cars, right? I got involved in Chinese medicine because I was really sick and nothing else was helping. And I saw an incredible acupuncturist and it was helping. And I had spent a summer in Alaska and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I was in Alaska with all sorts of brochures. I did not want to take the GREs. I graduated with a <laughs> 385 from Brandeis University. I was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. I was bright enough, but I did not want to take that type of test. And I wanted to go to Tibetan medical school. And at the time, you had to read Sanskrit, which I did not. And Chinese medical school was the next best thing. And at that time, now it's the standard, but at that time, ACTCM was the only one that demanded Western medicine as well. The only one that had a master's degree. If I was going to school for four more years, I wanted a master's degree. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And the only one that had pharmacology. And I figured that most of my patients would be taking medications, so I needed to know how to work with that. So many of us, I think, have taken that path where we had some issues, nothing helped. In fact, many things probably hurt. At least they didn't help. And then, yeah, Chinese medicine comes along and holy smokes, it's a different world. Things are different now. Yeah. So 
you've probably had a number of practices during all these years. I mean, it's not like you just go into practice once and, oh, that's your practice forever. I mean, whatever gets us started gets us started, but things change over time, don't they? They do change over time, but my patients have followed me. We've actually lived, you know, I guess a semi-boring life, right? I, I married my husband who we were friends for many years. He was at New York Chiropractic College. I was at ACTCM. We talked about opening a practice in Western Massachusetts, and we've been in Western Massachusetts since 1991. Even though you've been in the same place and people keep going to you, would you say that the character of your practice has changed over time in the ways that you think about your practice? Sure, because we are all evolving and growing and changing, and Chinese medicine is living. The way I frame it for patients is I'm looking to bring you into the dynamic balance that generates life right? The generation cycle is moving. The cycles in Chinese medicine, whether it's the generation cycle or the over-controlling or the controlling cycle, things are in motion. And we want to keep the motion moving, si tong bu tong, in the direction towards openness, towards flow, towards health, right? Mm-hmm. Si tong bu tong. You speak some Chinese? A little bit. Yi tian tian. Tian tian. Hi. Xie ni. Hmm? Thank you very much. <laughs> it's fun. You know, it, I, I love all those little phrases that are in Chinese. You know, it's like just a couple of they few matter. characters. Yeah. They matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you first hear... Clear heat. Right. You know, um, it depends on the school you went to at ACTCM. They taught the treatment principles. They spoke them in Chinese. And the characters were on everything that we saw. We had to take medical Chinese for the program. Back in the 80s, medical Chinese was part of the program. You had to take a medical Chinese class before you matriculated. Uh-huh. Before you even came in. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit of Chinese. Yeah. And they actually spoke it in Chinese Some as of well it. as English. Some yes. of it. Yeah. And this was at a time Bensky was not published yet. So we had to take our notes of the herbs and we had to write the characters down. They wrote them on the board and we wrote them down as best we could that's because there kinda, was no That's how you learn language. Right. Absolutely. But I yeah. speak several other languages, so it wasn't a big deal for me. What do you speak? I speak fluent German and a bunch of Spanish. Uh-huh. And I have a lot of Spanish-speaking patients and it matters to them that I can speak to them in Spanish. Yeah. I've got a couple of Spanish-speaking patients one in particular comes in with a translator, and every time he does, I think, dang it, Michael Max, you really should learn a little bit of Spanish. Es muy importante. Mm. It's very important. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you were first starting your practice, how did you get a practice going? Well, I had a great privilege. I got to apprentice with Raven Lang, and I was very nervous about calling her outside of school, and Michael Spock, who was in the class below me at ACTCM, was already apprenticing with her. And he gave her my number, because I was chicken to call. And she finally called, and she said, okay, what do you know about birth? What have you done? What have you read? What do you know? And what makes you think you're a good fit for me? Cool. So, hot seat, (laughs) hot seat, hot seat. And I was given the opportunity to apprentice with her, and her son said to me, okay, Your job is to know what she needs before she needs it and have it set up in the room for her. If she has to ask you too many times, that's a problem. 
you need to know. You need to watch what she does. You need to learn her patterns and what's going on for the different patients. Now, she ran six rooms. So I learned a tremendous amount, but it wasn't the kind of learning where there was a decompression session where she taught. She said, you need to take notes and you need to do your job. So it was up to me to learn by watching. That's a really Chinese style way of learning. Right. And that's what I did. And I appreciate the privilege. I chased her for 20 hours a week for three years. And then I ran her apprentices. So it was a huge opportunity. So in the process of chasing her, you got to learn in a very fundamental, nonverbal way. Here's how she works. Here's what she does. Here's, I mean, there's so much that can be transmitted without speaking. A hundred percent. And a very curious thing is one of my dearest friends, Maggie Barilli, who's the chair of the Connecticut Acupuncture Society. She apprenticed with Raven many years later, right before Raven stopped practicing. And Raven had said she wanted to give me her practice and she wanted to stop practicing. And it was very clear that that wasn't going to happen and that she wasn't ready. So I moved back to Massachusetts to be closer to family. And my husband didn't get a California license. So we, you know, we needed something for him to do as well. But when Maggie apprenticed with Raven, Raven went one room and practiced really differently. So what she learned was really different than what I learned. Because Raven's practice had a different shape to it at different times. Correct, as all of ours do as they evolve. I have a private practice and I also run a women's community style acupuncture clinic. The flavors of those are really different. People don't get less care, but they get less of my personal attention. But one thing that I've found is when a woman chooses a chair, there's someone that sits next to her that there's something that's kismet, something they learn from each other. And it's just, it brings me to tears sometimes, the beauty of these women being able to learn from each other. Like the woman with an autistic child sitting next to someone who is a toddler teacher and specializes in Reggio Emilia, inspired learning, which is independent learning and teaching children to be critical thinkers. So, How does stuff like that happen? Because the God, Spirit, Universe, Source plans it. There's there a saying go. in Yiddish, Mantracht und Gott lacht. We plan and God laughs. <laughs> it's so true. Okay. I never in my life planned to do medicine. I wanted nothing to do with it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which, so, I mean, there it is, right? I plan, I'm not going to do this. And then God's like, yeah, right. Watch this. You never know. You do never know. But I'm pretty sure about this at this point. If you say, I am never going to, and then X, Y, Z, whatever it is, but if you preface it with, I'm not going to, the universe does not hear the negation. It only hears, I'm going to. Well, that's why in, when children are running, we don't say, don't run. We say, walking feet, walking feet, because they don't hear the don't. They hear yeah, run. you can't hear the don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a curious thing. So Raven's practice changed over time. Yours has been changing. You've got a a practice where you spend more time with people. You've got the the community clinic. I, I'm curious about this community clinic. You say it's a women's health community clinic. Mm -hmm. Women's only. When I was in acupuncture school, you know, I was doing some political work. I was date raped. I got pregnant. It was really scary. The the community, it was the American Indian community. And the men were like, yeah, he's a bro. So I was on my own on the other side of the country. My mother flew out to help me take, you know, do what I needed to do, which was to not be pregnant, you know, because I was starting a four-year program 
And I did not want to have attachment to someone who had raped me and someone who was violent towards me. That was my first quarter of acupuncture school. So, you know, suck it up, buttercup, get your job done, take care of business and GSD, get stuff done, you know, do what you need to do to move forward. All of that happened and that's what I did. And because you have to keep your eyes on the prize in acupuncture school, it's a long haul. My study group studied six hours a week for three years for the California boards, right? There were not, none of these study um, guides. They, they didn't exist then. You know, we studied with Robert Johns to do a point location for the particular point locations on bodies component, which I don't know if they still do in California, but they, they had the point location on bodies component and he taught us how to look for shadows and light and find certain points, the down and dirty ways to do that so we could pass that component of the exam. You know, eyes on the prize. What do you need to do to get it right. done? Yeah. And so in part because of that experience, you've created this wonderful place for women to go to. Yeah. Right. And I have a little radio show called Healing Outside the Box, Inside the Heart on WHMP in Western Massachusetts. And we always have a team that runs and walks in the hot chocolate run, which raises money for domestic violence, for victims of domestic violence, for women and families who are escaping domestic violence. And because, you know, the Me Too movement has been, it's not just now, it's been going on a long time that women have experienced inappropriate, unwanted, physical, sexual contact. And there are plenty of community acupuncture clinics in my region. I wanted women's only, and I wanted to be able to offer the expertise of someone who has advanced training in women's health to be able to work with women, women identified patients. I work with trans patients, right? Women identified patients in a really safe space. And that's the space that I hold. So that's wow. what I do. And so within that space, I can see, given the frame that you've set for this, the space that you've created for this, that you could very easily have two women come in, sit next to each other, and have so much to share with each other. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and so much of the healing then, not just through the needles and through what you're doing, but through right. the space that you've created. The collective consciousness, absolutely. And it's just, it's incredible what happens in that space. I, you know, I love hearing this. I, I spent a little time in Taiwan. I would not say Taiwan has a community clinic. And I didn't really spend time in acupuncture clinics here, but I spent time in herbal clinic in particular. I had a, a teacher that I met. And, but it also had this really incredible community base to it. And the community base was, there's no doctor's appointments in Taiwan. You walk in, you, you walk in, you gua hao, you get a number, and then you sit, and there's usually a TV with some, you know, stupid show on. But what was wonderful is people would sit in the waiting room, and unlike here in America where they're like, you know, no one looks at each other, and they're, you know, going to keep their lips quiet until they, you know, go into the treatment room where you confess your, you know, medical sins or whatever— People there would gossip with each other. What are you here for? What do you think? What herbs did he give you? What's going on? I mean, there was all kinds of conversation. It was a very public, shared experience. And, it, and just the way people connected with each other in the waiting room, from my point of view, it was part of where the healing came from. Absolutely. 
So one thing I found out actually this year, I write people notes on these little three by five cards that have my logo and my phone number so they can contact me and they know where it came from. And one of my patients came in and she said, oh my gosh, I was at the pool and I met so-and-so and I was going through my bag and she saw my blue cards and she said, you have blue cards from Amy? I have blue cards from Amy. What do yours say? This is what mine say. And I didn't realize that people hang on to them like talisman to hold them to their next appointment and to hold the space that we created together as part of their healing. So we never know how something we say, something we do, something we give a patient is going to impact their lives and what the ripples in the pond are going to be and how far they're going to reach. Tell us about the blue cards. Sure. It is a card. I think Hemingway used to do this. And it's a blue card with my logo and with my address and my phone number. The logo's in the back on a screen, 10%. So every time you give one out, right, you're advertising as well. But you're also letting people know how they can contact you and you're telling them you, you care and you're committed to providing them value and that you're valuing their experience as your patient, right? And so I write their homework and what I say is, this is your homework, should you choose to accept it? And people save them. You know, and if someone forgets it, they text me, I forgot my little blue card, will you take a photo, will you send it to me? And of course I do that. I mean, I could email them, but that's oh, not no, 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 it, no. The card, right? yes. The chi, the life force is yes. very different. Yes. It, I, I love hearing you say that. I do something a little bit similar. Um, there's a printing company called Moo, M-O-O, Moo.com. I love I, Moo. I love Moo. I love their cards. Yeah. Because on one side, you can have one thing and you can have like a hundred different images on the other. Yep. I'm going to go get one of the blue cards to show you. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah. So, yeah, so sure. those of you here on the, on the podcast, we actually can see each other because of the software I use, but maybe we'll get a picture of the card and put it on the website. Amy's going to go get it right now. Oh yeah. There it is. Yeah. Lovely. It has the website on the bottom and it's three by five. It's enough. And it's a blank back. So you could do anything with it. So I don't have three by five. Uh-huh. Well, I have but a little I... carrier from Levenger that they sell that you can put these in. So it makes it easy to have a bunch of them uh, with you. That is cool. I use the business card size. Mm -hmm. And on the back is oh, it's, yeah. my clinic address. Mm -hmm. And on the front is just an image. Oh, that's beautiful. And an image. Mm. And an image. And yeah. an, right? They're so, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I love the word that you use, talisman. You put something in their hands. With love and with consciousness, right? We know from Candace Pert. I love Candace Pert, right? All right, Candace all right. So our, some of our listeners may not know Candace Pert. Okay. So Candace Pert wrote Molecules of Emotion. And it just so happened that Raven's partner at the time, Carol... There's a dedication in Candace Pert's book to her because she indexed Candace Pert's book, Molecules of Emotion. Now, in a nutshell, what is her book about? The science behind how every thought we have, every emotion we experience has a direct, measurable biochemical reaction in our bodies. And that's something that all of my patients hear because I share that with everybody because it matters. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. 
Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Yes. Well, and you know that thing that people say about, well, I feel better, but it might just be in my mind? It's all in our mind. It's all in our mind. <laughs> you know, then if someone says that, I would share with them the work of Vitaly Napadao. Right, PhD licensed acupuncturist who does work in these mind-blowing studies on changes that are shown in fMRI that show up when you insert an acupuncture needle in. And his most recent studies that he presented at the SAR conference, the Society for Acupuncture Research, were about how when the acupuncturist cared about the patient, the patient felt it through the MRI, through the needle. It would show up on the fMRI. Right, and that makes a difference. It changes, you know, our presence matters. Hugh McPherson has also done research about that that shows how our presence matters, how we show up. So that means making sure we are doing self-care. We are nourishing ourselves. We are practicing what we preach. We are taking a moment and breathing in through our nose and out through our mouth. So our brain's in alpha rhythms and we're relaxed and we're present with our patients before we pick up a needle to because our chi affects their chi. We know this from the classics and we know it from research, evidence-based research. Hugh McPherson, Vitaly Napadao, bada bing, bada boom. And for someone who wants more medical research, I refer them to the work of Helene Langevin, MD, licensed acupuncturist, chair of NCCIH, who's done work around how acupuncture affects fascia, which is great for anyone that has a lot of dry needlers in their area and they want it, you know, science with science. Well, did you know that any research that's based on dry needling is actually based on acupuncture? And that's been shown through the Cochrane Review because there aren't studies on dry needling. There aren't enough of them. So all of that research is based on the research that we do as licensed acupuncturists. That is an angle that I had not thought about. That there's been more research done on uh, on acupuncture than on dry needling, which of course is acupuncture. Yes, it's trigger point acupuncture. And the CMS CPT code committee, I was at this meeting. There were uh, two acupuncturists and Maury West, who is AccuClaims, representing the American Society of Acupuncturists at the CMS CPT code meeting where the dry needling came up, code came up, but also the trigger point acupuncture code came up and they're located in the same place. You know, and it's because of Eric Raymond Buckley that we filed for the trigger point acupuncture code. And the CMS CPT code made them equivalent. So the argument that dry needling is not acupuncture is gone, according to the AMA, which owns the CMS CPT code group. So let me make sure I've got this right. Yep. If you look at the CPT codes, and that says this Starting thing, January 2020, it will be published. It'll be published. Yeah. So basically, 
our conventional medicine system, they use CPT codes to say that something is something. Here's a thing, and we used it to do another thing. We used it to do something. So the CPT code for dry needling and the CPT code for trigger point acupuncture is the, the same. same. Yeah. Yep. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, I think it's way better that it plays out that way because the way that dry needling for the people that describe dry needling as being different than acupuncture, and we know it's a part of acupuncture, it's ASHA, trigger point needling. What is the difference in the technique? It's the insertion of a needle, the stimulation of a needle, and removal of the needle, right? Sounds like acupuncture. Well, yes, but it's not acupuncture with retained needles. To retain the needles, if you bill insurance, you have to use a different code. Ah, got it. When you retain needles, that's 97810, different code. That's ah, acupuncture. Right. That's straight up. And the, the language is that's acupuncture, right? And no e-stim. There's no code for putting e-stim on, on dry needling. Mm-hmm. Okay. They cannot be reimbursed. And anyone that bills after January 2020, right, and doesn't use the dry needling code... Because if there's a code, you got to use it. If they're doing dry needling and billing under any code other than that tiny little one, and because you can either use that code, acupuncturists can use that code, or we can use the timed codes. And my guess is because it's the insertion of a needle, manipulation of a needle, removal of a needle, it's going to be valued as less. We'll see. That's, that's a really interesting development, huh? Yes. And as you said, things change, things move forward things become. You know, when I started practice, I became a birth educator and a birth assistant. Five years later, I became a certified lactation counselor. Two years ago, I became an end-of-life doula. So, you know, we want to constantly be building our skills to provide value to our patients. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, I can't imagine doing the same work I was doing 20 years ago. Well, you're not the same person, so how could you? Right. Well, exactly. I mean, there is that. But the the idea that a practice is going to be, oh, I just have this practice. It's going to be, you know, roughly like this. It's like it's always changing. Hopefully. Hopefully. Right. Again, we're back to that word dynamic, the dynamic balance that generates life. Something that's dynamic is in motion. Listeners can't see that I get to see you as we're having this conversation. You're quite lit up. It's It's a delight. Everyone can hear this in your voice, though, just how lit up you are. So the good fortune that we have, that we get to develop ourselves, we get to develop our work, that we get to be like on this, this continually breaking edge, you know, of our skills and knowledge and continually learning. On one hand, it's wonderful. On the other hand, many of us, including us acupuncturists, we don't like change. Or what happens when it gets uncomfortable and all of a sudden a whole lot of things that we thought we knew, we actually don't know. And we're back to that learning again. How do you navigate that stuff? Well, I did my undergraduate work at Brandeis University and I had the privilege of studying with Maury Stein. He became my mentor. Now, he was not the Tuesdays with Maury Maury. He was his best friend. The Tuesdays with Maury Maury, and I kibitzed in the hall all the time while I was waiting for my Maury. And Maury Stein taught the sociology of birth and death. So I was 18 when I was reading 
Kellerman and Stephen Levine and Suzanne Arms on birth in the United States. And, you know, all of these incredible people and Number Our Days by Barbara Meyerhoff, you know, and really thinking and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Sheila Kitzinger looking at birth and death. And that informs everything I do and how I do it. And one of the books we read was Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And, you know, I refer to one of my kids, you know, we all have the people who are the Zen sticks in our life, the people <laughs> that whack us to wake us up and pay attention. Right. And, you know, Zen yes. mind, beginner's mind, what you said about coming circle, we come around. So we think about herbs one way and then we do some more research and we grow and we get stuck in this one certain pattern and then something we get a Zen stick and then we change how we do it. And hopefully we all have people on our own personal board of directors that help us be our best. Like Christine Cronin is one of those people for me. We have those people. Aaron Raskin is one of those people for me. Because we have the people who help us be our best and push us and do not let us get away with being mediocre. You know? When you say you have a personal board of directors, so does that mean that you've got like good friends that hold you accountable or do you actually have a group that you like lean on with intention? It's a group that I lean on, but as individuals, like for example, something happened. I'd been headhunted to be someplace and you talk about change being hard. Huh? A midwife started a center for women for pregnancy, postpartum birthing. There were two midwifery groups, a home birth midwifery group, a hospital-based midwifery group, there was a female chiropractor and they chose me. And I was actually the anchor renter. I was there the most. And there was a space with classes and other things. And she sold the business to someone. The woman decided she was a home birth midwife. She decided to go back to midwifery school. And the person she sold it to turned out to be a narcissist and a sociopath and a liar. It was very difficult. And she gave me 30 days notice that I had to move out. Who gives someone 30 days notice if you want to support that practitioner to be active in the area? It was a time when I really felt like this is where I wanted to be. I love this place. I built this place. I, you know, they sold products. I sold products to pregnant women before and after hours so women could get nursing cream and nipple cream and whatever they needed and bags for their pump. The way that it happened was less than kind and less than ideal. And I called one of my dearest friends, Nicole, who was on, who I would say is on my personal board of on directors. On the board of directors. And we found a place that was a stone's throw away from my building that I actually pay less, $50 less rent for more space. And I have two parking spaces in downtown Northampton, which is unheard of for free. But I got a group of women from all over the country. And this is my personal board of directors. They don't know each other, but to help us name our business and help us come up with a name. And one of them did come up with the name Wellness House Northampton because my mind was blowing. I had 30 days to find a place, move my practice, deal with getting insurance up to date, all of these things up to date. It was rough. One of my kids, I was getting really upset at the person that did this. And he looked at me, he was 16 at the time. And he said, I have six kids. He said, five born at home. And he said, mama, don't you know what Nelson Mandela said? I said, Akiva, Nelson Mandela said a lot of things to which <laughs> you're particularly referring, right? And he says, mama, getting mad at someone who has done you wrong is like you drinking poison and expecting it to kill them. You have to get over this. And I said, but 
He said, no buts, mama. I said, but he said, no buts, mama. He said, you have to deal with this and you have to move on. Okay. Thank You're you, 16 sir. year old, 16 year old. Yeah. Teenagers are cool. Aren't they? He's very cool. He's now uh, running the front office of a hedge fund. <laughs> it's about embracing change. You know, I don't know if you've ever read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? One of oh my, my kids, God. Right? I mean, like That's all about in this. the 80s or something. Okay, well, reread it. Okay. One of my kids um, has all sorts of sensory challenges. And there's a Who Moved My Cheese for kids. And that really helped him learn to be a more flexible person. My theme for my kids and for myself became resiliency. Our job is to be resilient. We can control nothing. This is evidence of this. We can control nothing. We can choose to be resilient. And my image for myself at that point was being in the eye of the storm with whatever change came. Yeah. Well, and resiliency is only built by adversity. Yes. I've had plenty of that. Resiliency does not come out of like, you know, a walk in the park. That's not resiliency. Yeah, well, let me tell you, with the whole Me Too, um, with New York now changing its laws, I had to go through a whole piece about whether there was someone I was going to bring charges against from when I was a child and a teen. And, you know, I spoke a lot about it with my husband, and I decided that I was not going to file charges because I don't want to live out of that. I want to live out of the gratitude that I feel now, and I want to move forward. And I don't want to relive that experience. You know, made me stronger. Well, and to be able to sit where you are now and make this choice and go, do I want to continue to live in this? Correct. Yeah. So let yeah. me just, I just want to check something here. This clinic that you now have that has the lovely blue cards was birthed out of that experience of we've created this wonderful clinic and you have to be gone in 30 days. And now you've got what you've got. Now we have, yeah, I have three treatment rooms some days, two treatment rooms other days, but I have, I talked, one of my favorite painters, um, make relationships with painters because there are bad barters and good barters. We have bartered for all of the artwork in our space and we have stunning artwork, right? From um, Donna Estabrooks is a semi-famous local painter um, and Laura Radwell is a phenomenal painter and Cindy Lutz Cornett. And I talked Donna into... I have an eight panel screen that I talked her into painting on both sides. So I have these two murals so I can put that in my waiting room. And I have uh, two recliners in my waiting room, one that's electric, one that's not. So I can see two patients there too for people who are open to it. Some people are, some people aren't, but wow. Yeah. It's all about what works. You know, what do you, what do you do in your free time? I don't have a lot of free time because I'm the vice chair of the American society of acupuncturists. And that's a, a lot of the work that I do is paying it forward. And it's all because of Linda Robinson Heidis, who's the former chair of the Acupuncture Society of Massachusetts, who said to me, okay, your kids are big enough. I know what you can do. We need a dry needling chair. This was in like 2013. I said, what's dry needling? And she said, we need a chair and I know you're going to get behind this. And then I got involved at the state level and then I was pulled onto the national board and then I was a part of the group that wrote the dry needling position statement from the American Society of Acupuncturists. And I nudged the NCCAOM until they wrote a statement. And um, it just, you know, it's what you do. I don't do well with free time. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of creative energy 
and you're looking and you're looking for a place to do something. Well, that and you know, many of us are in have some form of chronic pain. You know, and if I'm busy working on things that are of value, I don't focus on my own. You know, I'm an autoimmune nightmare. I could focus on that or I could focus on what can I do with the time I have? I'm a type one diabetic. I could die tomorrow. So what can I do with this day and leave it on the floor, right? Leave it on the mat. I'm also a, I have a second degree black belt in Okinawan karate. What do I want to do with this day to make a difference in the world and make it a better place? What can I do? So these challenges, I'm using challenge here in air quotes, are like the fuel that gets you going. It doesn't sound like it's the stuff that holds you back. It's actually the stuff that propels you forward. A hundred percent. My mother is the ever-ready battery. She is such a model. She's the chair of the wellness committee at the Osborne Retirement Home, where the average age is 92. Holy smokes. Yeah, she's 84. She oh, can young. barely walk. But she does her thing, and she brings in people to educate people. My parents, she was in the first class of patient advocates in the country. Really? And she, now how, did she, how did she fall into that? I was weaned on healthcare as a right, not a privilege, which is why I accept any insurance acupuncture covers and why I, and a legislator in Massachusetts said, if this bill passes to get insurance coverage for acupuncture in Massachusetts, it's because you've been driving it for so long. She, I don't know. My mom, my mom has always been a member of the Hemlock Society. She believes in euthanasia. She also believes that surgery is a solution to a lot of things. And surgery can be a viable and wonderful solution for some people, but she's had a number of failed surgeries. So I, and I have had a life-saving surgery that was brilliant and wonderful and I'm grateful for, but I won't seek it out, you know, unless there's, there's no other choice. I don't know what drove her, but her business card had the character of, of crisis, risk over opportunity. Right. And that's what I hold. What did your mom do for a living? She was a patient advocate. She was the one of the first patient advocates in hospitals in New York. Wow. Yeah. She did her undergraduate degree at Sarah Lawrence College and her graduate degree at Sarah Lawrence College. And my father was a manufacturer's representative for a furniture company who was quite brilliant and who had to go to work. He got through college in two and a half years because his father died, his Mother needed help, and he was committed to helping her. So you get through, you do what you need to do. Suck it up, buttercup. There is that suck it up, buttercup, and there is that thing that you're talking about with resiliency as well, that these kinds of things, if we let it, if we let ourselves in some ways come undone from whatever limits we have or stories we have or frustrations we have and, and let that go from something that holds us back to something that actually propels us forward. It can be super helpful. It can. And I have an aunt, my mother's only sister went the opposite direction and she was the saddest person I knew. And um, she shares a birthday with my mother and my fourth child. And it was like, you know, again, Mantracht und Gott lacht, we plan and God laughs. This precious, beautiful, brilliant boy, you know, you have a number of children, you know, when you're intimate with your spouse he was conceived the night before my father had quintuple bypass surgery. And then this precious boy was born on my mother's birthday. My mother's sister, who was the saddest person I've ever met in my life, was also born on her birthday. 
right before my son turned one and they all had their birthdays, she died. So it was like, oh, God didn't want my mother to spend her birthday alone. Who knows? But appears that way. And they're very close, this precious boy and my 84-year-old mother, you know? It's okay. easy to look on the dim side of things. And in, in the world that we have today and the way that it is so, there's just like so much inflammation, not just in the human body, but it's like in our relationships. It just seems like there's so much inflammatory talk and posturing to be able to step back from it. And, and here you are, you say you're an autoimmune mess. How do you step back from inflammation inside and outside? Well, for me, I do the things I need to do. I have the, we have this ridiculous room that we're not sure. We think they were going to, in this home, that's next to the bathroom. We think they were expanding the bathroom. They decided not to. It's a very tiny little room. I have a Pilates chair in there and a vibration machine and free weights and a bar. And I exercise for 30 minutes every day, at least five days a week. I used to have a rower in there, but I tore a tendon, so I can't row anymore. So I moved it out because it was making me frustrated that I couldn't row. So I put something else in there because the time that I have to exercise is between, you know, 6 and 6.30. And my children knew the only time, I mean, I did attachment parenting. I nursed extensively. I have six children. I nursed for 16 years. But from 6.30, if you are not bleeding, vomiting, and or on fire, and you did not cause those things to happen... Don't interrupt me and let me work out because this is what helps me save my life. You know, I do that. I take my Chinese herbs. Thank you, Zev Rosenberg. I eat well, right? I cook all of our food. I make sure that I'm in bed at 10 o'clock. No, thank you. Go, you know, it's... Let's see, let's see. you're in bed at 10 o'clock. You cook all your food. You've got more than a busy practice as well as other committees that you're on and you're still in bed by 10 o'clock? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm in bed on a meeting, but I'm lying down and my feet are up. Feet are up and no phone calls from anyone other than the favorite list on my, the people that need to reach me. God forbid my mother's in the hospital or something, you know, or one of the kids needs something or the ASA chair. Other than that, no, B-E-D. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. 
You mentioned before we were rolling tape here that you spend much of your time at the clinic that you told us about, but you also spend some of your time working out of your house. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear about that. I have a home office and I convert the front of my home to two treatment rooms every Thursday. And there are patients that love it and patients that aren't comfortable with it. So I just am really clear. It's a home office. If you want to be here, I'd love to see you here. And if you don't, I have room in Northampton. And there are some people that just love coming here. It's closer. It's more convenient. And some people like the ambiance better. So it's a big blessing to be able to see patients here. And also that way on Jewish holidays when I don't drive, I always have somebody who's working, who's got an embryo transfer on a Jewish holiday. And all of those people stay pregnant to term. So they come to the home office because I'm not going to be at work. And you treat people on Jewish holidays? Yeah, if they come to my house, sure. If they come to your house. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What made you decide home office? Why not just another space? I mean, it's so much money to put out, you know? I mean, I did have another space, but I only had one room, and that's a waste for me because I need at least two rooms, I feel like. You know, two rooms and space for people to walk with Dr. Juice scalp acupuncture in the back of their head to open up their sacrum. So I rented from somebody, and there were some strange things that happened, and then she lost the space. And it kind of felt like she must have been laundering money because um, she never had people and it was really expensive to be there for her much more than me because she had four rooms that were empty all the time. Something wasn't adding up there. Correct. Yeah. And then after that, and we'd rented somewhere else in Springfield that was a fortune and I didn't feel safe there. And so why not not have to pay rent somewhere? Well, I can tell you about three years ago... I had an opportunity to buy a house where I could work out of the bottom of it. And really up until that point, I never thought I would work out of my home because I thought it was unprofessional. Oh, working out of your home, that's unprofessional. I mean, when I first got out of acupuncture school, I, I knew people that were like, oh yeah, I'm going to work out of my home. And I was like, you know, why would you do that? Well, the reason was I didn't feel like I was competent enough in what I was doing. I needed the trappings of an office and it looked medical and blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. And a few years ago, I realized, oh my God, if I'm not professional by now, I never will be. I think I'm there. I don't think I need a space to make me look professional. I think I can do this anywhere. And I got to tell you, I, ideally, pocket full of needles, you're, you know, I mean, there's wandering monks that walk around with needles. That's what they do. But yeah, being able to have a space that is, for me, not medical has become really important. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that are very interested in the integrative model. They, they really want to, like, focus on the medical side of, of what our medicine is. And, and, you know, that's perfectly fine. I really like having a place where people can step away from that world if they'd like to step away from it. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. And also, even in my office, they step away from that world. Like, I mean, the love and compassion and the vibrational changes that happen in the space because of the work that we do changes that. One of my patients is an OB, and I do a lot of work with patients of OBs and REs, reproductive endocrinologists and midwives, whether they're home birth midwives, hospital midwives. And I said to her, gee, I wish I'd gone to medical school. And she said, please don't wish that. We need you doing what you do because you're really good at it and we need you. And I felt very honored and privileged by her saying that to me. And we can be part of the team 
without having to do what they do. We can use the information that we gather from them, from the tests and from the labs and from the images, and that's terrific. It's great stuff. We, we Super get to helpful. do what we do. Yes. So often medicine is, it's a team sport. Absolutely. At its best, it is a team sport. Look at the Cleveland Clinic, the tremendous work that's going on there with MDs, licensed acupuncturists, chiropractors. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it really is. I haven't brought up the B word, but I do want to bring it up. Business. <laughs> you know, because a lot of acupuncturists, you know, we hear, we hear the word business and we're like, oh yeah, I'm not a business person. I'm an acupuncturist. Leave me, you know, leave me out of the business piece if at all possible. But it seems to me that if you're going to have a practice and you're going to be self-employed, having a business is part of what your practice is. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on doing business, as my grandpa used to say, doing business. All right. You know, my father ran his, he was a manufacturer's representative for a furniture company. So he was self-employed, right? He worked from home. He worked from six in the morning until eight at night. You know, and I had jobs to do. I had to file his, you know, his invoices. So my work ethic comes a lot from him, you know, from knowing that. Abs Your dad basically had a business. Oh, yeah. I mean, manufacturer's oh, yeah. rap is, is, I mean, you're basically self-employed. So you grew up with someone who didn't have a job. He had a business. Correct. And my father, he was just constantly humping it. And my father... My father wrote 150 letters to my kids that I can find. There's more, I'm sure. <laughs> but each letter is like a life lesson. And he tells them, you know, his things. Routinization and organization are the keys to success. You know, choose to be grateful for what you have. Have a tickle file where you put things in that you have to follow up on. Know people's names. My father tells this great story. This other manufacturer's rep comes up to him and one day and he starts complimenting his tie and this and that. And my father looks at him and he says, so Sid, when did you read Dale Carnegie's book or take his workshop? And he says, what? How do you know I read that book or took that workshop? He said, Sid, I've known you for 40 years and you've never complimented me on anything. And you came up to me and you complimented me on my tie. Come on. So, you know, he was very aware and very astute and very incisive. And he sat us down and had us do a budget for college. You know, he supported us for undergraduate and we had to take care of graduate school. But he, you know, he taught us about budgeting when we were young. You know, he's, I was allowed to go to summer camp. You wanna do horseback riding? That's extra money. How, what's your proposal for how you're gonna work that off for me to pay that? That's great. Right? What a, I mean, what wonderful lessons to get as a kid to recognize there's this, resource called money. There's a resource called time. And how do you make all of that dance with your desires? I was, I was 14 and I was, my first job was shoveling dog poop for two prize Great Pyrenees dogs and cleaning their runs. And then the guy added giving vitamins to a pregnant Great Pyrenees and they're the drooliest dogs in the world. And you had to get your arm halfway down their throat. And I was like, I need more money for this. So I negotiated a raise with this guy who had tons of money, but didn't want to give me any of it. You know, I mean, I always had jobs paying attention and looking at how we can provide value. Like I really love Bob's Berg's book, The Go-Giver. 
And um, Christine Cronin, who teaches at PCOM and is on my personal board of directors and also serves on the ASA board of directors, she's teaching that as part of interprofessional communication now because we need to learn how to communicate because part of business is how do we communicate with MDs, right? To know, to, to talk with them and find out what they do and say so and ask them questions that elicit who are their appropriate patients they might refer to you and why they might refer them. And maybe find out what are the problems that they're having that we might be able to help them solve. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with dropping off cookies and brochures and a note. Asking if they'd want to do a lunch and learn. We have to build bridges. It's not just about writing letters and making cold calls. That doesn't necessarily work because we are our business, right? And if it's about consciousness and if it's about sharing chi and transferring chi, then we have to be doing the doing, right? Some people say, and I see this on Facebook all the time, oh, don't answer your own phone. You need to have a person answering your phone. That might work for some people. When I call the doctor, I really love talking to my doctor or my midwife, right? My patients love it that I answer my own phone, and I do. Well, so many patients that I have, including my mother, who when she's trying to talk to her doctor, well, you know you can't talk to the doctor. Well, you know you never talk to the doctor. What does it say when they have a chance to talk to us? How great they're so grateful. So grateful. You know, people are shocked that I answer my own phone. And it makes a huge difference. And at every touch point and in every relationship, are we building a relationship with that person or that MD or that midwife or that oncologist, right? And how can we follow up? Are we following up when we meet someone at a party? Are we sending them a personalized note? Not, not Don't print it, handwrite it in blue ink so it's clear that you're handwriting it, right? There's a reason a lot of people have their photo on their business card or on one of those fabulous cards that you've made, right, with notes, because you can use that as a tiny thank you note. That's a brilliant idea, and I think I'm going to learn from you with that. Well, I just think anytime you can slip something into someone's hand, not to promote yourself, but to give them some kind of value and some kind of help, then it has meaning. Well, it has value. I've heard it said, especially when you're building your practice, give your card to everybody. I never give my card to anybody unless they ask. Well, I talk to people and then people often ask. And one of the things, and it's a very curious thing, I was at the Integrative Fertility Symposium a number of years ago and someone who taught a practice building seminar said, oh, do you have a card? And I said, yes, and I gave it to him. He said, do you know you're one of three acupuncturists who's given me their card when I asked for it? And I've been approached by 100 people. Carry your card with you all that time. Keep a couple in your wallet because when someone asks you for it, then you want to have it to be able to give it to them. Straight up. Absolutely. I always carry them, but I never hand them out unless there's already been some kind of connection that's happened. Otherwise, it, it just doesn't have meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, and right, and you paid for those cards and you want it to have meaning, but you also want to provide value to the people and, you know, the shared experience of chi, of life, of consciousness. Do you have any advice for people that are starting out or maybe it, uh, they've hit a spot in their practice where it's a little bit rough? 
I would say, think about what your ideal patient is. Who's your ideal patient? Write it down. Put it in a place um, where you're going to see it. You know, put it on your fridge. If you have an altar, put it on your altar, like where you like candles or in a place that matters to you and focus on it, meditate on it and go on the internet and look at doctors or other allied health professionals who you feel like, look at their websites. Do you align with them? Approach them, make little baskets, bring them cookies. You know, they can be health foods or some you know, whether it's cookies or a foot soak or Chinese herbs to cook with chicken soup, right? Pay it forward in a meaningful way that makes connections, as you said, because it's about making connections and touching that heart space that makes a difference, you know, and doing demo treatments when you can. Tell us about that. Well, so I've had the privilege of doing them at the State House in Massachusetts several times. I've done it twice at the Capitol in DC and for the American Society of Acupuncturists Conference, the day after we had 250 acupuncturists lobby on Capitol Hill. And I was responsible for 20 acupuncturists who who were providing demonstrations to legislators and staff on Capitol Hill. And people walked in stressed and they left, you know, at ease. And that makes a difference. Once someone has experienced this, then they are changed. You know, if you're not comfortable doing acupuncture ear demos, use ear seeds. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I don't have them here, I don't think, but I have a little card with an ear on it too, so I can hand mark for people a couple of spots to put on them because I don't like to give people too much information because it overwhelms them. But one or two things people can handle. Right. Well, then it has value. Yes, I make rack cards for people at my website, wellnesshousenorthampton.com, under forms and downloads. You know, there's one for women who are newly pregnant called I'm Pregnant, Nauseous, and Tired, Help, which came out of a friend of mine being pregnant. Nauseous and tired. She was nauseous, she was exhausted, and she was crying and crying and crying because she was pregnant. And she was, but three weeks before, she was crying because she wasn't pregnant and she really wanted to be pregnant. So right after I'm pregnant, nauseous, and tired help, I wrote, remember, comma, you wanted this, you know? And then there are simple things people can do, like soak their feet in hot water, use ginger or mint, and things that I've learned throughout the years as a birth educator and birth assistant that can help people. I also have a different card for keeping babies positioned. Another one, I wrote an article with my writing partner, Christine Cronin, about using um, a hairdryer as heat therapy when you can't have access to a moxa stick. Oh God, I love it. That's hilarious. Right, that's at the PCOM newsletter, but also under forms and downloads on my website, there's a piece about how to use a hairdryer in lieu of a moxa stick. So you've got all kinds of educational materials that you share with people. That are free, you know, and I give them to midwives to put in their packets. And I have one on acupressure for birth. You know, and I got permission from Deborah Betts to use her images in that card. And I have her site listed as well on that because people, they don't want 26 things, but give them three or five. I have one on empowering things you can do to get ready for birth. And the first thing is watch funny movies that might make you laugh so hard you might pee. Because when we relax this, you know, our mouth, right? The os 
we relax our other os, the os of the cervix, the mouth of the cervix. So it's about what's real and what's concrete that people can do. And as you said, provide value, right? What's, what can we give them to teach them something that they can use that's tangible? Right. Well, and there's so much, air quotes here, information out on the internet, it very quickly becomes noise. And so to be able to take something, package it in a way, or, or, or just distill it into something that they can take with them, it's just one or two things. One or two things is usually doable. And you know, a lot of these things are things that our grandmothers did and taught us. Epsom salt baths. Hi, Nanny. My grandmother taught me that. She never went to college, but she was really smart. You know, those are the things. What are simple things people can do at home that don't challenge them too much, right? A castor oil pack is great, and many of my patients are taught how to do that. And for other people, you know, they need the castor oil roll-on, a warm washcloth, and a hot water bottle over that because that's what they can manage. And we need to remember that there's a big difference between ideal and good enough. And I aim for good enough. I I think good enough is way underestimated. I mean, you might see this with your patients too. Maybe they've been working on their diet and they go, well, you know, I was doing fine. And then, you know, I had a day where I was bad. They always say that I was bad. And I'm like, bad? What do you mean bad? Well, you know, I ate, it's like one day out of how many, you know, one day out of four. Well, and I would reframe the bad. Oh, you mean you ate something you wanted to eat? That's okay. You can go back to changing it. And one of my kids lost 40 pounds at fat camp. He really wanted to go to fat camp. He was really damaged at a school and he gained a lot of weight. His self-esteem was in the toilet. And he said, mommy, I want to go to fat camp. So every cent we had, I called the guy and he was amazing. He said, we're a weight loss camp. We're not a fat camp. We promote self-esteem. We teach them about nutrition but we are not a fat camp. And he said, your son really needs to be here for nine weeks. I said, according to your website, I can send him for four weeks. He said, you can send him for four weeks. I said, yes. He said, we'll cover the other weeks. They covered him. He got to go for nine weeks. He lost 40 pounds. He lost another 10. Most people do not do that, but he's paying attention to all of these things. And he's aware of portion control. And he's like, mommy, You know, they told us you have to treat yourself every day, but be aware of what you're treating yourself with. So that means not a hot fudge sundae, but a couple of tablespoons of ice cream. That reframe is so powerful. It's okay to treat yourself. The question is, what are you treating yourself with? And are you aware that you're treating yourself? It's imperative to treat yourself. imperative to treat yourself. Yeah. Uh, That's so good. I have a friend who was post-dates and she was sobbing. The same friend that inspired that card. And she was sobbing because she was post-dates. And she's like, oh, I thought it was okay with this and I'm not. And I said, okay, I'm going to come pick you up. She's like, no, no, I don't want acupuncture. I said, no, I'm not going to give you treatment. We're going to get a pedicure. And she's like, what? I've never had one of those. And so I took her to get a pedicure. And they massaged her legs and she was soaking her feet in hot water. And she was like, and she picked out a color to paint her toes. And she had never done this for herself. And I gifted her with this. And you know what? The next day she gave birth. We need to shift the energy sometimes. I can just hear 
the mental processes of people listening to this podcast right now that are working with pregnant women who are a little bit post-date, and it's like, you know what? Instead of acupuncture today, I want you to take that money and just go get yourself a pedicure. And that's the treatment. And then go home, put on something sexy. I understand you might not feel sexy. Find a robe, find a sash, find a something, and get busy with your husband and tell him to put it in the never turn down a perfectly good orgasm department. (laughs) And tell him he needs to take one for the team. And he's not going to be getting any soon, so he might as well enjoy it now. All right. Well, all right, folks. There you have it. A fantastic protocol for bringing on labor. Absolutely. <laughs> you should write a book. I'm, I'm working on it. I actually went to the Harvard Medical Writers Conference. And in November, I'm circling back with a literary agent. Thank you for your kind words. Oh, I, yeah. I, I can hardly wait to read it. All right, so when the book is ready to go to press, we'll have you back for part two and to talk about the book. How's that sound? That sounds perfect. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Amy, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this down for today? The best advice I can give anyone about their practice is to be your authentic self, which is going to be different than my authentic self, you know? And trying to be like your mentor, I'm not Raven. And I'm not Dr. Gakki Lai. And I'm not Dr. Chung. But I learned from Dr. Chung, who said, know your treatment principle grid, know your treatment grid, know what something does and put it in your grid. And that's why I wrote that article about using a hairdryer as a moxa stick. These are the things we need to be sharing with each other and teaching our patients. What's your authentic self? What's true for you? It's going to be different than what's true for me, right? I tried magnets. I lost them. I bought $400 worth of magnets after a magnet workshop with Dionysus scoliotis. They disappeared. Not for That's you. not my tool. Okay, mm-hmm. God, I got that one. But I do use the tools, you know, birth, postpartum, nursing. That's my gig. I got it. Chronic Wonderful. pain and, and um, end of life care. Yeah. You know. Deeply personal items for you. Yeah. So find where you shine and be authentic with yourself and what moves you and what brings out the best in you. That's the best advice anyone can give and follow through. It's great advice. A little terrifying to actually be ourselves in public. Always read some Brené Brown if you're confused. (laughs) And Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Ooh, I just got Malcolm's new book too. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Amy. Be well. Thank you so much. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. 